Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Happy Tuesday, friends. Thanks for joining me for another episode in our mission season. I hope you've been enjoying these interviews. I know I certainly have. Today, we have an excellent conversation for you with veteran missionary Robert Kelly. Brother Kelly and his wife have been missionaries to the UK since 1984, and they now serve as the area coordinators for Northern Europe. We talk about finding a spouse who shares your kingdom purpose, about the challenges of building and growing a church in the agnostic humanistic society of Northern Europe, and about the power of the word to transform hearts and lives. There are so many nuggets of wisdom here, so let's dig in. Here's my conversation with missionary Robert Kelly. Brother Kelly, welcome to the Good Question podcast. Well, thank you. It's good to be here with you. Very excited to be able to talk to you today. You are a missionary in Scotland and the regional director for Northern Europe with the UPCI. Fun fact, you will be our missionary supervisor as we are headed over as Amers into Denmark. And so my husband and I have been able to um, separately meet you and your wife in the past few months. And we're excited about um, working with you guys and having you on to talk today. We're doing a missions focus this season. And so I would just love to hear a little bit about you, who you are, your background, um, and how you got into being a missionary. Okay. Thank you. There, there is a couple things. First of all, we look forward to having you and your family here uh, working in uh, Northern Europe and uh, appreciate your burden and vision to do something like this, but also to be able to come to the field and work. Just one point of clarification. I am area coordinator for Northern Europe. Okay. Brother Tuttle is our regional director for the EME region at this point. So I understand. No worry. But just (laughs) play off that. So tell me a little bit about your your background. Where are you from originally and um, kind of your your family and a little bit about you? Well, I come from eastern Ohio. Uh, I would give you the name of a town, but the nearest town was three miles away. So we were folks living in the country. Mm. Raised on a farm and thoroughly uh, enjoyed it most times, but I am the last of a family of 12 children. Oh, wow. My dad was a minister with the UPCI. He started two churches and then eventually was an assistant pastor where by that time I was going into early teens So where he was assistant pastor, I remember a whole lot more. And in my youth development and getting involved in the church there. So I I hail from the state of Ohio. My wife comes from St. Louis. Uh, She was born and raised in St. Louis. Now, as far as education and background, of course, attending high school, some community college work, 
And I tried at various times to go to Bible school, but it seemed as if God was closing the door Mm. in me going to Bible school. I never really fully understood that at the moment. But as I just followed what God was leading, I eventually was able to work with Brother Billy Cole for four years. We often felt it was humorous. We called it the Billy Cole Bible School. (laughs) And uh, it was very, very excellent, and it was more hands-on. So God allowed me to be able to do that. So as far as education During those times, I had to read, I had to really pursue trying to broaden my biblical understanding and so forth. So that, in a brief nutshell, now my wife, like I said, was from St. Louis, and she uh, attended Gateway, and also she graduated from a teacher's college. So she is a teacher by profession, and of course, graduating from then Gateway Bible School. Yes. She had three siblings. One of her brothers passed away earlier and uh, when he was a, a young man, but she was the youngest of her family as well. Wow. I love that idea of, um, you know, not all of our educational experiences have to follow um, a set design. You know what I mean? We, I think a lot of times um, one of the things we've been talking about And some of the other episodes we've done is just some misconceptions that we have as young people in the church about ministry or about missions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we we think there's like this path, you go to Bible school and you, you know, you go on a bunch of, maybe you go on a few AYC trips or you do, you know, some different, you follow these steps. And those are like, those are all great things to do. And sometimes that's the way it happens, but it doesn't always happen that way. Right, right. Well, in our day, there was some trips that would go overseas because my wife, even when she was in college, I think prior to her college days, spent a little time in Germany. And it was, I don't want to get it incorrect, but it was called impact teams at that point. So it was a different terminology, but the same concept, but they would spend two to three months on the field uh, helping. That's interesting. So then when did you meet your wife? In 1976, I was there working with Brother Billy Cole, and uh, he said, I I met somebody I think you would like. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, several years ago, foreign missions would have three weeks in the summer. It was called a Summer Institute of Missions, and they would have various speakers come in. They held it at Gateway Bible School. Now, I never attended one of those, but like Brother Cole, uh, Brother Leo Upton, there are various people who they would have come in and teach, and my wife would attend that. Of course, she was in St. Louis. She was attending Gateway, and while she was at Gateway, she was uh, voted in to lead their missions program, the student body, mm. their missions program. So she attended that event as well, and it was while she was there that Brother Cole noticed her when he came back. Uh, from that event, he said, I, I met somebody I think you would like. Would you like to meet her? So our first date was a blind date, and Brother Billy Cole was our Cupid. He was the <laughs> one that put us together. So I know many people don't envision him as being a Cupid, <laughs> but he followed, the. I, I would have to say, the leading of the Lord. And uh, my brother, it was rather unique, my brother was attending Gateway Bible School. He 
and his wife. He had his children there. So I made contact. Brother Cole did. It was set up for me to go meet uh, what was going to be my wife eventually. And, of course, went under the guise of seeing my brother and his family mm-hmm. as well. So I traveled to St. Louis to meet this young lady attending Bible school there. And then as we met on our very first date, the area of missions, because I always felt somewhere in my ministry, I may, I may, I can't categorically say I had a word from God, but I really felt that I might be spending time outside of North America Mm. and toward Europe. And maybe what kind of helped develop that is Brother Cole and pastoring, Brother James Dallas, who was the general superintendent here in the UK, would visit North America once a year to promote the need to encourage workers to come to the UK. And he would come by Wheeling, West Virginia, where Brother Cole had started a church, and I went there to help them start the work. He would come by and visit Brother Cole, and we got connected. And so there there was that interest there as well. I kind of felt someday would head that way. So in our very first date, uh, in talking to my wife, I thought, we just need to kind of get this out, you know. <laughs> I liked her. We liked the conversation. And I was not aware at the point she was really having a feel, a call to someday go to Europe, not necessarily saying where, but toward Europe and be involved in missions work. So when I threw that idea out, she very graciously, yes, I might have an interest, but later she confesses that she was so excited that somebody (laughs) had an interest like her. Wow! So from there on, it began to uh, materialize. And in June 1977, we were married. Wow. That's a really fun story and an encouraging story, I think, for single folks that are feeling a call of God and looking looking for a spouse, but also wanting to make sure that they're in line as far as their purpose and their their heart for the kingdom. I think that's really, really cool. Yes. Yeah, it's important. And sometimes young people, especially young adults, because I was 24, you kind of get a little concerned and, you know, when will this happen? Will I meet somebody but I just finally had to trust in the Lord. Just, And I had I had a brother-in-law that always just kept saying, God, at the right time, at the right place, he, will ha- he has somebody for you. Yeah. And you just got to trust in him. And uh, my wife, I think her, the wedding, our wedding, our wedding. Now, I, I want to be careful, but I think our wedding was the 22nd or third wedding she had been in. She oh, was wow. friends with stacks of people who had her in their wedding. And she always kept wondering, well, when will it be mine? Mm. And here we are. So I love that. So you all headed over to Scotland, I believe, in 1984. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that time period in between when you got married and when you went to Scotland. Did you have children when you guys went over? Yes. Our son, he was two and a half when we arrived, two and a half or three years of age when we came to to Scotland. But of course, we got married and we both knew the call of God on our life toward missions, but we felt it was not the time. Mm. And the Lord opened the door that we could pastor, eventually pastor the church that 
I was with Brother Cole in starting, because Brother Cole's ministry took another direction. Somebody else came in for a short time, and then I eventually became the pastor. I was the pastor there for five years. And even though I worked under Brother Cole those years and seeing the work start, going through the beginning stages and the growth of the church, I was extremely grateful that later on, upon arriving in the field in the United Kingdom, that God allowed us to have that experience of pastoring there. Mm -hmm. Because when we came here, it was starting brand new. Uh, It it was all new area. So, uh, you know, it was a challenge. And so God, God, in a very unique way, led us to Scotland. We made it a matter of prayer where we felt leanings, we felt direction of the Lord, but we prayed for confirmation. God gave us very definitive confirmation of what we were feeling and the call of God and soul. It was uh, toward the end of the fifth year, of course, making application to come. Now, I will say this. In our fourth year of pastoring, we made application to come, and the the Foreign Missions Board at that point said, that's nice, but thank you, but not right now. Hmm. So that was a challenge in itself. You know, back in those days, you didn't go and aim and all of these other events, but you applied, and we had to wait a year. We had to go back the next year, reapplied, go back the next year, and then we were appointed after that. And part of their concern was we found out that we were young, hmm. young in our age, although we had experience, etc. There was concern because where we were coming to, there wasn't really anything. And as far as in Scotland or Ireland. Right. And so the concern is this young couple going and the pressure, the spiritual battles, uh, they were men with wisdom. And we learned a lot in that last year. Now, do I understand it all? No. And that's where you go back to an element of trust. Mm. God knew what he was doing, and and we had to really trust the Lord and trust in that leadership. But even us being put off for a year did not diminish the burden. It seemed to even grow stronger within us. Mm. I love that because I think, I know for us, when we first started to feel a tug for Denmark, it's just, it's so vague in your mind. How is this going to work out? We feel this burden for this place. And at first for us, it was, God, what are you asking us to do? Are you asking us to just support them financially and with prayer? Are you asking us to to go? Um, and how long are you asking us to go for, you know? <laughs> and so it's, right. it's challenging, especially when you're, you know, we're well established. We've been married almost 10 years. We have two children, you know? And so it's like, how's this going to work out? We we need a plan. <laughs> and the Lord yeah. doesn't always give you a five-year plan. He, he kind of lays, is laying it out a few months at a time um, for right. us. And so that's, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge to walk in trust and in faith that way. Right. You know, it's one thing if you're single and you're moving yourself, but mm. when you're married and especially when you factor in children, because you feel a real sense of responsibility. Uh, this not only affects me, but my children in mm-hmm. relocating them. The long-term effect, positive or negative, how do we handle that? Our son was, uh, like I said, he was, I think, nearly three when we arrived on the field. And and I'll have to say, the church we pastored, was we loved it. I mean, we knew God sometime would move us, 
But we were both very content to stay where we were. We were not looking for a way out. Mm. And when that process really began to take place and we got appointed, the enemy really fought us in our mind until it was like, oh, God, what have I done? I've uprooted my family. The church is functioning well. I was full time. You know, the list goes on and on of very positive things. The church was growing. I'm leaving the opportunity of a lifetime. But God caused me to remember a word he spoke to me years before I was ever married. And what God showed me in a vision, I could never figure out. And that, that hour, that moment in prayer one morning, God brought it back so vivid. And it made me aware that what God showed me years ago was applicable or for what was happening in our life right now. Mm. And it was reconfirming what God had called us to do. So it is a challenge. It is unknown. And we like things to be very, very certain. We're making this move. What will I get out of this? What What's in it for me? What's this? You, it's a matter of really trusting God as you follow Him. Yeah. Trusting God. And like you were saying, leaning on the wisdom of the people that are in authority over you. Right. I, I've been so thankful through this process for you know, the role of a pastor for the role of even of the missions uh, department with UPCI, mm-hmm. knowing that there are other eyes on this situation, knowing that there are other people praying for direction on our behalf. At times it can feel limiting and it can feel confining. But I think whenever I get my my spirit right, <laughs> it can, mm-hmm. it, I realize the safety that there is in that and the, yeah, just the protection that there is when you're aligned properly with um, spiritual authority. Right. And in your excitement and zeal as you're younger, your excitement and zeal, you feel like, I don't want this curtailed. I don't Mm. want this to be limited. I don't. And that's typical. That's normal. Because when you're younger, you have that energy, that goal, let's get this done. I feel the call of God. But when you place yourself under authority to those in leadership that work with this a lot, that have had experience They know some of the pitfalls and the victories. They know some of the hardships that you're going to encounter. And that doesn't mean to be negative, Mm -hmm. but it's just some of the things, the victories, the hardships. They're aware of that. There is the concern they have. We release you. And then if there's, you know, really challenges and something negative happens, they feel such a sense of responsibility for that. So. It is for our best interest. And have I understood everything in line with that? No, I haven't. When I have been asked to hold or to wait. But you learn later, you know, there's wisdom involved. And sometimes it's a hidden wisdom of God. Mm, Yeah, that's good. Oh, wow. Okay, so you guys, you headed over to Scotland. You started a work from nothing. And now nearly 40 years later, you guys are still there. Yes. Yeah. How has your role there in the country changed and shifted over the course of that time? Well, let let me say when when we came and this I'm not saying this is for everybody, but we had this feeling for us to make what we felt God was wanting us to do. This was going to be a lifetime commitment. Mm. It was not going to be. We're going to go for three years and five years, and we're just going to just turn everything upside down, and there's just going to be revival in 55 churches. And we don't like that kind of talk because people feel 
you know, this negative. No, it's reality and it's mm. dealing and God helps us. And so we knew that this was going to be a lifetime of ministry. So, uh, yes, coming here, we basically started with one lady who moved up from England for work and she lived here in Glasgow. And so we started with one individual. God helped us uh, right at the very beginning, our very first service. We had seven visitors from the area here where we are in Glasgow and the church just grew. I mean, it just, it, and we started with doing a lot of home Bible studies mm. and a lot of you know, outreach, evangelism. My wife and I, our son, even though he was young, he would be on the streets handing out leaflets. Mm. We tried to create an atmosphere. This was fun. This is exciting. We made it that way. And part of that carried over from deputation as well, to keep a very positive mindset about all of that. But then God just started adding to the church over a period of time. And then because this was a new area, uh, they made me the, the presbyter or district superintendent for North England, Scotland, and Ireland. In Ireland, we had zero. Mm. Here in Scotland, we had a church 200 miles away, and one was about 30 miles away. And so eventually, we had to be taking care of those churches as well. But we were starting with just the one person here in Glasgow. But as time moved on, thank God we have people now in Ireland, missionaries and churches that have been started. We would send people in there as well at times. Other churches have started here in Scotland. And since the work was nationalized, Brother James Dallas was a superintendent then. Um, I was sitting on what we called the general board, but I represented these areas. And so it was really, really just in its extreme infancy stage. Just, it really was. And so God just helped us to start building the work. Eventually, after several years, we were able to secure property, which we now have in the city of Glasgow. But when we were able to secure the property, uh, we all knew that this was for something far bigger than just a local church. And the end result, just doing this in a real quick addition. At the end of the day, of course, we started a full-time Bible school. It's our national full-time Bible school, and it's, it's here in the city of Glasgow. And so the buildings that God allowed us to secure, which was an incredible miracle, uh, they're worth probably now $4 million. Oh, wow. We got them for $130,000. It was a God thing. That's all I know. God mm. did an incredible miracle after us looking for years for property. We rented buildings, rented halls, rented schools. But God helped us. And ministry started. Others got their license, and it grew to there. And then after a while, uh, still being district superintendent for the Northern District, we called it, then also overseeing the full-time Bible school. And then also I did their general, the general conference here. I operated that and oversaw that. Uh, chaired that committee that would deal with it. There were other things that we were doing. We started a part-time as well as a full-time Bible school. God then, as things began to grow and develop and people were taking care of things more and more, a few years ago when Brother Rodenbush was still the RD, he asked if we would have an interest to help with the Nordic countries, Finland, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden and their territories, and 
What was rather interesting is my wife and I just a few months before that really just started to have a uh, real interest or begin to really feel a need for somebody to help in those areas. And God opened the door. And, and part of that was is we had missionary personnel for years in those areas, but they they felt directed of God to step out of missions and it left a vacancy. So mm. in saying that very quickly, they asked and we've we started to get involved in the Nordic countries. And as we have been doing that the last few years, we begin to back out of responsibilities here. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer pastor of the church here. We still oversee the Bible school. I'm no longer district superintendent. I sat on the board, the general board, just as an honorary board member. But our main interest is in the Nordic countries. And prior to the pandemic, uh, we were spending more time over there. But we've been able to make a few trips during the pandemic, and we're believing next month, January, uh, we're working on trying to do some more traveling over there and just to be the help and support we feel that we can be. I love a few things that you've said. One is that you you went into this with the mindset that this was going to be your life's commitment, that this was going to be a ministry that was going to take a long time to establish a church in this area. and. We've talked about how sometimes going into missions or approaching the idea of, of going to another country to, to work for the Lord, the idea of making it that lifelong commitment can be really overwhelming. And so we've, we have talked about how it, doesn't, it isn't always like that for everyone. Right. But I think that it's also really important for people to understand that in order to build something that lasts, it takes time. And while... You know, when missionaries come back for deputation through our churches here in North America, we love the stories of, you know, the thousands of people receiving the Holy Ghost in a crusade. But the reality on the ground is that those people then all need someone to help disciple them, to help walk them through actually living for the Lord. And so that takes time. It takes people. It takes resources. It, and again, that's not the part that a lot of us like to, to think about because it's slower and it's not as exciting maybe on the surface. But it, it sounds to me like by taking that approach and, and growing everything out slowly, 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 you've built out a infrastructure of the church in the area where now this thing that you went in there and, and started from nothing, you can personally back out of and leave it to be run by other people and to trust that the work of the Lord is going to continue as he moves you over into supervising these other, these other areas. Yeah, and I think in, in all you know, fair dues, we say uh, there can be people who come for a season to places. I can't judge yet, but just speaking from our experience and we felt for Europe and for those already here, they, you know, they can't walk out when, the, when things get really rough. Mm-hmm. I don't say that when things got rough. That's why some people left. Because I've come to respect when somebody's been on location and they feel God's wanting to move them on, that's between them and God. But just for ourselves, we realize this this is a lifetime. This is an investment. And, you know, people say, how can you say I'm going to be there this length of time? You just take it a day at a time. Mm-hmm. You, just, you just take it a day, a day at a time. I mean, we look back now and we think, Dear Lord, we've been here 37 years. It's hard to believe. Mm. You know, I mean, we were appointed in 84 and did our deputation, et cetera. But you think, 
37 years, and next year will be 38 years on location here. And it's just a day at a time. That's all I can encourage people in knowing you're in the will of God. But that's all I can make people aware. Some people feel it's a shorter time, and some people may feel that burden and call for just a specific time and to help insert or be a building block that somebody else takes from there and adding what they can at that moment in time and then moving on themselves. So you just have to really know what is the will of God. And can I, I, I will tell you this, have there been times where I've had enough of this? I <laughs> don't know if I can handle this. I've lost count on that. Mm. Some people say that may not sound good on you, but it's reality. I told someone not long ago, I said, going by McDonald's, it looked like a better job flipping hamburgers mm. and doing this. Because you invest, you give, you work, you pray, you fast, you believe, and you would like to be further down the road. But sometimes it's just not the case. And you also have to learn how not to compare yourself with others. Mm. We found admissions work where, like the example you use, that maybe where there is a vast number getting the Holy Ghost and coming to the Lord, there's a whole another set of issues they face we don't face. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, 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 there is no easy field, mm. and there can be the challenge of, as you were rightly saying, establishing and developing in those areas. And you have to love Let me just say this. You not only have to love the people where you are and feel a burden and feel called, you need to love where God calls you. Mm. You need to love the country, the area, the city. You need to love that area as well. I feel that is really important. Yeah, I can imagine it's going to be really hard to reach people in an area if you're personally miserable in that area. (laughs) True, true. And it's a real shift in your cultural mindset, and there are cultural adjustments, and people go through culture shock, you know, adjusting. Some people, it takes them six months. We've seen some in in three weeks. It was nearly two years before we went through culture shock. Mm. And throwing that in, because sometimes that's where it really gets to be a challenge, and you've got to know you got to walk through that. Mm-hmm. Good things to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So we've we've talked a little bit about the fact that it takes a while to establish a work. What I hear, at least, is that Europe is a place where it, it, it can be challenging because the culture at large is, I guess, what they call post-Christian. What kind of challenges have you faced in that area? And how, do, how are you engaging with people to kind of present the gospel to them in a way that meets them where they are in that culture? Well, I think you have it rightly put in what you gave us, agnostic and humanistic. And I think I could find that more in the Nordic. There is a little more of a foundation of Judeo-Christianity here in the UK and some in Ireland, Mm. although that's still built on, they think, of conflict and war and fight Mm. Uh, with all of that. And of course, they feel the church is very non-relevant. I want to be careful how I say this, but like in third world countries, sometimes second world countries, a lot of times they believe in a higher power. Mm. And it's like somebody I was talking to, it was saying, getting them to know the higher power is the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is at least some acknowledgement 
in the society, there's a greater power than them. When you come like to Northern Europe and places where we are, the human being is a higher power, they say. Mm. There is no higher power. I am the control of my destiny. Mm. I am the one that decides that. So that is the challenge. In some places, it's yes, it may be a tree, it may be a cloud, it may be a spirit, it may be God. There is a higher power. But here where we are, it's such a humanistic concept that we are as individuals a higher power and I control my destiny. Mm. That's where it makes sense then that people are most open whenever things things happen in life that are outside of your control. And yes. and you realize sometimes that's a rude awakening that you realize, oh actually I'm I'm not in control of my destiny. I this have no true. power here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is a sad it's it's sad in some ways that we we would have to get to that point, but also what a grace of God that he would allow us to realize it and to turn to him. Mhm. Mm. And it is happening. I think one of the great things in all in all of this, there are men and women who are turning their lives and hearts at the rate we would like to see. No, but there are men and women who revelation and understanding does come. And the other thing, you know, and, and they follow the Lord. Now, the other thing you may find where you are, it's something that we have found often here, even though we've been here for years. A lot of people meet you for the first time and, well, this is how we do church here. You do mm. it like that in America. Mm. You will find that, well, here, this is how we do it. This is how we believe. They look at it almost like as a nationalistic concept. This is, we have our state church or we have this, and this is how we do things. You know, why, why do we need more churches? Why do we need more religion? Because we already have our own. Right. That that is something to wade through occasionally uh, when you meet people, and we tell people it's not a matter of just joining a church or a religion; it's getting a relationship with Jesus Christ. We tell them we're not here to get you to join a church; it's just to get a relationship with God. Hmm. One of the things that we've done is it, that's helped us get through to people is is doing home Bible studies. Now, whether that be something quick or something. Over a period of time, it's building friendships and getting mm-hmm. connected to do the, the Bible studies and not feeling threatened or intimidated by questions they ask mm-hmm. because they're going to come from more of a, a like an intellectual thinking and rationalization and questioning some of your very core values and belief in your faith. And sometimes it, it comes from being when I say being led of God, but answering on their level as well. And I have found at times that when I've been teaching Bible studies and people are way above my level in their knowledge, God gives us wisdom and helps and also then acquainting them, getting them to feel the spirit and the power of God. Mm. And one of the things that I found that's still the most astounding thing is when I've been teaching Bible studies is when I've had them read the scripture, I have seen God touch hearts that question the reality of God. Is he real? Is this all a facade? Am I just, you know, are you on a ride in Disney World or what? But when they begin to read the word of God and you can see the effect that the word has on the individuals. Mm. And I've found that it's not my arguments. If I don't even like to use the word argument. It's not my way of speaking 
or so much what I know and don't know. It's when I can get them to the Word and touch of the Holy Ghost. Many times it's opened their eyes of understanding. But even saying that, at times they've not responded. This, yeah, I feel it, it's real, but this is not for me, it's for you type thing. Mm. And then we have found when people have really reached the end of the rope, the bottom of life, they seem a little more open. So I think you have to find out where you are on the level of people, whether it be you're dealing with the business world or the universities or just people on the street, as we say, that just everyday jobs. I think you have to, you just have to know when you're reaching to a particular type of person, what is their intellect? What is their reasoning? What are they like? And kind of know you're going to be expecting maybe some challenging questions and asking the Lord to help you meet that. I I don't know if that yeah. helps a lot or not. It just, it okay, for me to know that if I would go to the university now here in the city and start doing work, I'm not armed. That sounds maybe not a negative <laughs> way or well qualified because of their mindset is so different. Therefore, I need those that are younger to go in that mm. are that are already believers. Mm. So I find out you you as you grow and as the church develops, you know there's certain ones. This is their strength. Put them into this and mm. reaching people. They're going to come from their basis. They're going to come from their knowledge. You're going to come from their intellect. I like that. I like that. And knowing where to use your resources, how best yeah. to utilize your resources. Yeah. I think that's so good because even here in the U.S., as we're engaging with people more and more, we encounter people who, who come from a background where, yes, it is a, Jude- a Judeo-Christian culture as a whole uh, and through our history, but in practical reality, a lot of those cultural understandings don't seem to be penetrating into people's um, everyday consciousness in the same way that we would understand them. And so you are already having to meet people kind of where they are and figure out like, okay, how do you think about the spirit? How do you think about the word? And then let's try to meet where you are. And I, I love what you said about not getting, I don't remember the word that you just used, but like not getting defensive of our own understanding of the word mm-hmm. and not getting offended when people ask questions and being sensitive to know that like, I don't have to defend the word. I don't have to feel like I'm being attacked or right. the word is being attacked. Like the word will stand on its own. And if we, if we can get them to it, it will not return void. Right. The word is very powerful. I've just honestly seen it in settings that are just very quiet. Just people reading it. It's like, it's just like the lights turn on. Mm. The word will speak for itself. And when I, you know, when I've been teaching people in Bible studies or what, that type of setting, I said, look, you may ask questions I don't have the answer to. Mm. So therefore, you know what? We're going to go on a journey together. Mm. See what we can find out. One, it releases this. You're coming with all this Bible knowledge. And so they're going to, you know, how am I going to come against you? Mm-hmm. You say, hey, I don't know all the answers. I do know a few things. We're going to cover this. But you you may be asking or we may get into a study where conversation comes up where, oh, you know, hey, let's look at this. Let's dig a little more. Mm. Puts it off that I don't come as a know-it-all. I don't come as I've got all this tied up in a bow. And yes, I know Jesus. He's the only Savior. Yes, I know the new birth. But you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like you're the walking Bible and that you just know everything. But they it kind of it kind of puts them on the footing of wow. Okay, they're just kind of like me too. 
They're right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Not setting ourselves up as an expert because we're definitely not. <laughs> no, no, we're not. And that doesn't mean we're not confident in what we're doing. I think sometimes people get that mixed up too. You may be confident in what you're doing, but it doesn't mean you're the expert. Mm-hmm. You, you're confident because Paul said, I know in whom I am believed and persuaded. Mm-hmm. But you know and sometimes we don't need to, I think the word I used was intimidate if people start trying to poke holes in what we believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's good things to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. So as you've been, you know, you've been um, in Scotland since 1984. Lots has changed in the world and especially in the past couple of years with the pandemic and all of the ways that the church as a whole globally has had to shift our approach. How has the advent of social media and the internet changed or impacted the work there in Northern Europe? Well, somewhat through amidst all the frustration with it, I think someone used the term, maybe the internet is kind of like the Roman road, the Mm. Roman road that was built that others could take the gospel on. Now, I don't know if that was a statement that was made for a feel-good factor or what, to try to help (laughs) us all deal with this, because it's been very, very challenging. Mm. And a lot of our churches here in the north, in the Nordic countries, even here in the UK and Ireland, because that all includes it. You're the mm-hmm. I'm area coordinator all the way from Finland to Greenland. That's wow. where we are. Even here in the UK, a lot of churches were caught on the back foot. Just we didn't have the setup to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, thankfully, my son-in-law is the pastor of the church here. I mean, we have people in the church and have the skill set, but it needed somebody who could take it to that. And I just thought, God, you knew exactly me stepping out. And there's other things, but you knew what was coming down the road. And I would have been really frustrated trying to figure all this out. We could have, but he did it easier. My son-in-law, of course, they're appointed here as missionaries to the UK as well. And since I'm throwing that in, my son and his wife just got appointed as missionaries to the UK, but they're going to go to Wales. Oh, wow. Uh, It's a whole new area. so. That was quite a shock to us because he had been with Brother Calvin Jean in Salem, Illinois for years, uh, for 19 years. But God moved on our heart to come to Wales. So at the end of the day, my son, his wife and two boys, and of course, my daughter, her husband, and their two girls. And she is expecting as well. My daughter is. They'll all be here. So that's really thank cool. God for that. Yeah, it really is. I just, you know, it's kind of like, Wow. Uh, people often said, oh, don't you wish your son was there? And I said, well, yes, but my prayer is he does the will of God wherever mm. that may be. So I know we took a side trip there. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's good. I love that because I <laughs> did want to ask you about that. I remember I met your wife at Oklahoma Ladies Conference and she was talking to my mom and she was telling my mom, she said she thinks that there's a special blessing for the parents of people who go to the field they were commiserating a little bit about the fact that we're going to be taking the grandkids away <laughs> across yep. the ocean. And um, so that's so fun to hear that you guys had kind of the opposite experience where you were gone and, and your kids were back in the U.S. And then now the Lord has just moved everybody to be all close together. But they're in Europe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that is a challenge for grandparents. It is, especially coming somewhere, uh, even though it's very modern, upbeat, however you want to call it. You know, it's not like a third world, second world. It's a first world country. So I'm looking back here at my questions, trying to see one question that we're asking all of the people that we're interviewing 
with regards to missions is what have you learned about yourself, about the church or about God um, in Europe that you might not have learned in North America? Oh, wow. About ourself is you really realize how much you need God. I Okay. In, in the, yes, when we were in the States, yes, in pastoring, how much you depended on God. But in doing the kind of work that you're doing, sometimes there's no, here is a map mm. or here is a booklet or here is an article you can read to accomplish this. It's your real dependency upon God of God leading you and directing you. Now that it's always been that way, but I have found that really amplified more working in areas like this. Mm. You know, just realizing how much more unique God and also, you know, a lot of people say this, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. Mm. And you look back and see how God's grace and goodness has kept you and helped you through all the years. So learning about myself is more, how much more I need to trust God. I just, I'm not sure what else to say on that one. (laughs) There's a song, I need you more than ever before. Mm. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And then also the other thing in learning about ourselves is when I look back over the journey to this point, it amazes me that God has allowed me to take this journey. Because when I see when I used say my background, it wasn't bad. We had a, you know, our home was good. God supplied. We weren't wealthy people and so forth. But how God through the years led and opportunities given to me. I suppose I'm just at times I stand and think, God, how? What did you see? What is it in me that you saw? I still don't see it, but you did. <laughs> You know, that you would allow me to, to participate and to meet with such incredible people in my walk with you. How is it? Anyway. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a big question, and I don't know um, if you have some thoughts about this, but my husband and I have just been, as we've gotten into meeting missionaries and, and thinking about the way that the rest of our lives could take us, we've started to think about things like what happens when missionaries retire or as you start planning for later years of life. Do you have any thoughts on that? And, and kind of what kind of plans do you all have if you, if you feel comfortable sharing them about if you, th- if you feel like you'll stay in Scotland or if you'll come back to the States at some point or any of, any of those plans? Right. Well, at this point, unless God really changes things, we feel we'll spend our, the rest of our days here in the UK. You know, the older you get, the harder it is to change. Mm. And each time we come back to the U.S., we just find changes. And then, which happens in every country, by the way, changes. It's not like it was when you left. Mm. And with, you know, just this things are different. Kind of a reverse culture shock. (laughs) Yes, very much. And then also, where would we land? Where Mm. would we live? Now, we felt if God wanted us to go back to the U.S. and, you know, it Toward retirement years, uh, he would probably open the door for us to go, you know, or to make us aware of where to go. Um, I've had another a minister tell me, anytime you want to come back and retire, you can come here. And when my son 
was still living in Illinois. Now, they're on deputation now. He just said, you know, told me they had some property nearby them. We could get a piece of property and we could settle there and so forth. But in all of that, we never really felt to. We just felt like we want to finish out our years here Mm. in the UK. Now, God could change that. In five years or four years, we feel directed to God to do something. If he wants us to, we will. But we really feel peace about just settling here and uh, finishing out our years here. Yeah, it becomes your home, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after 30 some years, we've lived here longer than the U.S. Mm. And, and you know, you know, the other thing you take into consideration, if we were living in harsh environment, mm. climate or third world or second world or a different governmental system, that all plays into it. Right. And do I want to finish out my years where we may have to run or we don't know if what we have as a home could be gone tomorrow? Right. So, you you know, you take into account where people are and where they're living. And I don't have any problem, you know, like missionaries on the field for several years, eventually retired of the U.S. And where they are, that's totally understandable. It's yeah. the right thing to do. Yeah. So. It's so individual and so um, just the world has, there's so many different situations in the world when we talk about different places you could be working and, and living and yes. so thankful that God meets each of us where we are and directs each of us as we should go and, and gets us into the best position. So if anyone has um, a desire to support you guys or help you in any way, what are some things that you guys could use? ways that people could could lend a hand or be a, a support to you? Well, I think the one thing we're, we have really tried to help get more manpower for the Nordic countries. As we just traveled, we would really promote that. People wanting like yourself that's coming on AIM, could they come for a short term, like three months, maybe six months or a year to come and be a help and a support to the works there? That's the thing we've really been focusing on. And then also just really praying for the funds of finance and for God to open the door for some of our places to be able to secure a building. And there's such a challenge because of the cost factor in the part of the world that we're all working in. So that would be one area, people to come and help in the Nordics. Now, there's enough missionary personnel here in the UK that if somebody says, I want to come to the UK, we divert them to one of the people here because we're really trying to focus, as I said, more on the Nordic countries and help and support. Uh, and here, here's the other thing. We've, we've had a lot of older people years ago. Huh. Back then, we called them older, and now we're that age. But <laughs> What really helped us a lot in establishing was when we would have older aimers come for a few months. They weren't even preachers. They weren't even licensed ministers, some of them. But they had walked with God for years. They had Mm. life experience in their walk with God. And they were such a help and support to new believers. As we were teaching new people coming in, just them being there and that example that godly example over a period of time really ministered and helped to stabilize people. So sometimes we think of Amherst, we think of this revivalist or this person coming in and just, you know, real excitement. But sometimes it's just people with real stability in their life mm. and that, that others can look at them and see this works. They've lived it. 
They've lived it. And uh, that speaks volumes. So even in the Nordic countries, people coming that way. So that's where we, we really feel. So if anybody helping, yes, toward the Nordic countries. I love that. I love that because that's how we feel. <laughs> and we appreciate the burden and the vision that you folks have and your willingness to come to be part of what is happening in Denmark. I just encourage people, don't get frustrated, don't rush, just take it a day at a time. And we tell people here, all God wants is our best mm. every day, my best. My best may not be your best or somebody else's best, but I just do my best every day and just doing what God wants me to do. Mm. And I have to leave the results up to him. He's the one that gives the increase. I can't give the increase but he does. I can cre- help create the climate, but God's got to be the one to give the increase. Mm. So it's going to be great having you folks over on this side and involved even more in Denmark. Well, we're looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really excited. We're just, you know, in this last, uh, we were talking the year is here. <laughs> yes, we got yes. we got the big decisions and big uh, plans to make, and so we're we're getting excited and nervous and all of the things, but looking forward to it so very much. Well, Good. I really appreciate you having this conversation with me today. It's been so great. We always end our podcast with the same question, so I'm going to ask you our final question, and that is: Our show is called Good Question, so we like to ask everyone, "What is a good question that you are asking yourself lately?" Oh, this really may sound kind of deep, but I just, am I going to finish the race well? I want to mm. finish it well. So I keep asking myself, you know, am I going to finish it well, not end up being a grouchy old man? So that's all I know. <laughs> well, that's a good goal. I love it. <laughs> it yes, yes. Oh, Brother Kelly, thank you so much again. It's You're been a welcome. pleasure to chat with you today. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for allowing me. Bye-bye. There is something so encouraging about hearing from someone who has walked the road ahead of you. I'm so grateful to Brother Kelly for taking the time to talk with us and share some of the practical, relatable thoughts, struggles, and challenges he's faced as he's followed the path God laid out before him. It truly gave me a lot to think about and helped me feel less alone. I hope the same is true for you. If you have thoughts about this episode, I hope you'll come share them with us on social media. We're on Instagram at Good Question Show. I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. Our email address is goodquestionshow at gmail.com. You can also follow along on our missions journey to Denmark at Tanderups for Denmark on Instagram. Tanderups with an S, the number four, Denmark and a Facebook page of the same name. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer and the man who is attempting to teach me how to edit the podcast, y'all pray, is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Pawalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.